And welcome back to the Cube Command Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Savoy, and today we're going to have a different kind of episode on the Cube Command Podcast. Uh, there's no gaming on this one. Today we're just going to be discussing the future of the industry of podcasting with Todd Cochran, CEO of Raw Voiced and host of the new media show. Todd has been podcasting for 13 years, and he was kind enough to agree to do this interview with me. And here it is. And we're speaking with Todd Cochran, CEO of Raw Voice, which is the parent company of Blueberry. And he is the host of the new media show and has been podcasting for a good 13 years. So how, how are you doing, Todd? Hey, Tommy. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. The, the topic of today's episode is uh, it's a little different than what I do on my podcast. Um, today we're going to be talking about how um, what the future of podcasting looks like. Me, personally, I was around six when it started to become popular around the mid-2000s. I, I know you definitely were st- really into it. What was the industry like when you first started? Were was there a lot of networking? What was it like? Yeah, yeah in the you know in the very early days, the you know when we first got started, we were all kind of all by ourselves doing our own things because you know Apple hadn't come on the scene and provided the uh, the interface. So really, what uh, what we were all doing is there was a lot of independent software being built and then a lot of shows that were teaming up to promote each other. So it was a lot of uh, a lot of show to show networking. And then, of course, most of the podcasters that were getting started had already been blogging or something. So they did have some established audience already. So you know that was still really in the heyday of of the, of the blogging time. But, you know, really in the beginning it was uh, working with other podcasters. And, you know, in January of uh, 2005, I launched a network called the Tech Podcast Network. And we had a a group of guys and gals that were all creating content that was uh, family-safe tech content. It was a lot of fun. And we all cross-promoted each other a great deal just to get the word out and to to grow our shows. That was really the... The only way and it was before Facebook, before Twitter, there was no social media, so you can imagine uh, what we use today to get information out is much different than what it was even just uh, a few short, you know, thirteen years ago. Now, um, was it more difficult um, compared to now, where there's more dedicated platforms and, of course, social media? Well, in 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 retrospect, there was fewer of us, so the median, you know, caught on fire just, you know, right out of the gate. So for the few of us, you know, the 100 or 200 shows that had started in the very early days, um, you know, we had this huge focus on us. So uh, building, you know, we did get some press help in building the audience, but, uh, you know, really we didn't know any different at the time. So we just built our shows with the tools we had available at the time. And I think that uh, compared to now, uh, you know, we some of the, stuff that we did back in those early days probably would benefit some shows that are trying to to grow audiences now because we had to do a lot of that legwork and working with other podcasters and networking and a lot of shows don't do that anymore they just launch a show then they you know they rely on social media to try to get the word out but we didn't have that then well that sounds like it was really busy and it was like a really time where you're where you're like scrambling around um to do stuff or was it mostly organized well, you know, the 
the in reason why so many tech shows started off, you had to be kind of a geek in order to make this thing work in the early days or have a little bit of a technical background. You know, as compared to today, it's it's very simple to start a show. You don't have to have a a technical background. So right. a lot of the you know, a lot of the stuff that was going on between shows is we were talking about processes and posting and how we should work it and and where to store media because media was a big issue and, and paying for the bandwidth that uh, was being incurred for show delivery. You know, my show went from literally zero to about 45,000 listeners in, in less than 90 days. Wow. And there was no unlimited uh, bandwidth plans then. So we were all like uh, moving around different shared hosting accounts. So you really had to be on your A game to make it work. Uh, so a lot of that was, you know, being worked through by, you know, kind of the geeks that were early starters. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why Libsyn and my company got started is we, we kind of realized early on that podcasters would need help with tools and services. And we were in a good position being early on to start that. But I think that, uh, today it's a lot of it's taken for, for granted, uh, because, you know, a lot of podcasters don't know the history of you know, what it took to get a show off the ground and get it launched. But it was pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, the networking and, you know, promoting other shows, it, it was it was it was fantastic. You guys were you know, the pioneers. So, again, like like you said, um, there's a lot of uh, network between you guys. And did you have any um, like dedicated schedules you went by? Like, did you start right off the bat with it or did you start off smaller? Like, hey, let's see how this goes. Well, when I started my show, um, I did it from a hotel room, believe it or not. I was on travel, and I heard about this medium and got so excited that I did my first show from a, a, you know, a, a little hotel room. And, uh, and very quickly, I be, because the audience kind of drove the content, the, the audience kind of dictated some of the stuff we did in the early days. So I originally started doing my show on a Sunday and then like a Thursday but very quickly, the news cycle on Sunday was very slow, and I realized that that wasn't going to work, so I shifted my show to a Monday. And then I wanted to be able to have enough content to carry people over through the weekend, so that's the reason I decided on a Monday-Thursday schedule. Part of it was uh, to get the audience uh, good content. Number two was to have just a little bit of time in between episodes so that they could get all through the previous episode before the next one was produced, because I was doing... And even in the early days, in a long show, hour 10, hour 15, hour 20 minutes. And uh, so it really it was kind of dictated for me, at least, because like, I had a new show based on the news cycle. So um, every show was a little bit different, but we all learned very quickly that if we missed an episode, audience members would be like, uh, you know, our email boxes would start filling up, uh, you know, literally minutes after the show is supposed to be released, saying, where's the show? Where's the show? So... Um, wow. Yeah, it, there was a because you got to think about this. This was before YouTube. There was Napster was out there where you could like listen to illegal MP3 music and share stuff, but there was no true spoken word beside what was on the radio and maybe some stuff that was on the internet that you could go to and listen in a browser. So it really was a whole brand new media space, even though people had been putting content on the internet for many years. It was the start of a more personalized media, I guess, right? Made by people who aren't in the professional area, uh, who, well, who didn't start out in the professional area. They can yeah, start making and, their and own it, stuff. In the, in the majority of, you know, we were all pretty indie. And there was a few people that had back radio backgrounds. 
but I, you know, I was in the Navy. I was working on airplanes. I didn't have a media background whatsoever. So that, uh, you know, for me, I, I had to learn how to use the mic and do processing and, you know, all that stuff we learned on our own. We, there was, you know, very little documentation on the internet on how to do this. So, um, you know, it's you know, compared to today. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The process we had to do then was, was difficult. So you had to be pretty dedicated uh, you know, to get the shows off the ground and do them. But uh, it was a lot of fun. It was exciting. Like, with the people who, who started podcasting, is podcasting a roots? Um, is that in uh, public radio, or is that just a mix, misconception? Because I've heard that, that a lot of podcasting started from uh, public radio and that, like, it's made people want to make their own stuff. Public radio came in a little bit later, but in the beginning, it was purely indie. The indie folks, mm. we, we ruled. You know, and and uh, and if you think about it, even today, public radio may makes up like less than one percent of the total podcasts that are out there. So um, there's definitely a misconception that uh, public radio led the charge. You know, I think what really happened was was public radio followed. Now they were, you know, don't get me wrong, they are masters at creating uh, great content. So they were well positioned to come in the space and and have lots of great podcasts and repurpose content and. Uh, they did it very well and still continue to do it very well. So, um, you know, it was just a natural thing for them. But definitely the indie folks were the ones that launched this and got it off the ground and got the buzz going. And and then, you know, public radios quickly soon followed. Hmm. It's like the, audi- the audiences you had, you know, was it a, a broader range of audience, like all ages? Or was it just the specific age range or these people only interested in this one thing? Um, like what was the listener base like um, back then? Well, well, you know, I think the it, it kind of follows through today. Um, I, I have a, a pretty diverse audience, um, age-wise as well. But in the I would say in the early days, um, because the media was have to you know was being consumed either on your website or on an iPod, which was not necessarily inexpensive, um, or maybe a little portable media player. So not everyone could afford that. So I think, you know, that it skewed 25 to 55, probably from an age range standpoint. There was less ladies in the early days that were listening. There's more now. Um, definitely more ladies now creating content than there was in, in those days because I think the ratio probably in, in the first couple of years was really like maybe 90% guys doing content and 10% ladies. and. Uh, oh, really? You know, that's sh- that's shifted now. Yeah. So today, you know, I think we have a pretty equal distribution of uh, people that are doing content. It's, you know, I would assume based on the conferences I go to that we're pretty close to 50-50, but um, it, as well it should be. But definitely in the early days, the content creators more, skewed more male and the listeners did as well. But, you know, we ha- I had, uh, and it, you know, I had a number of women that listened to my show uh, that were regular um email contributors and basically would leave comments about the show but uh, it's definitely more now than it was then well, that's great that it pu- it'll pull in more people and more people that are interested in different things so i i was listening to your uh, to the new media show uh, this morning and um i remember you mentioning that uh i think it was 2004 that apple introduced a device that made it easier to listen to podcasts well what what happened there was in the beginning the uh, adam curry developed a software application that would allow the RSS 2.0 feed with an enclosure to be read and then that media file synced to 
a, a mobile device and an iPod. So that was done third party in the beginning. And then July, June, July of 2005, Apple basically put that functionality into the iTunes desktop application that allowed you to subscribe to shows and then be able to sync that to you. And remember, this was pre-iPhone. Right. So we still had to sync via cable uh, to the i uh, to the iPod every night to be able to, to get the new media the new the new podcaster out and get them married up. So there was really, if you think about this, there the listener had to do that. That was a physical action. They had just number one to get to the content uh, so that it would be loaded on their uh, devices, and number two, then listen. So um, you know, the, it was a that's the way the podcasting space has always been. From the from that point forward, everyone specifically subscribes to a show. There's a physical action to listen to a show, even if they listen on their mobile device and aren't subscribed. They still have to click play to do so. Whereas if you're listening to radio, you're just kind of hearing it hot podge. But podcasting is definitely a you know a listener. Um, they have they want to listen. They're not just listening because they happen across the content. It doesn't work that way. Um, I remember when I was younger, maybe about six or seven, maybe eight, um, my dad for my birthday got me my, my own MP3 player and I thought it was so cool that I could uh, just plug it in and download like all this music and listen to it. And that's actually where I started listening to podcasts where I would, I would go, um, I would go and download a different podcast, um, before I went to bed and listen to it while I go to sleep or in the morning. And I thought it was really cool that it was, it was cause I, I didn't have uh, an iPod at the time, but I had, um, I, well, that was probably around the time when the iPod was becoming a thing. But um, I remember having, you know, my my MP3 player, and it was really cool that I could just listen to stuff that I that I handpicked myself um, on the go. And that was, you know, that's really. And matter of fact, I was showing it off on the show today. I've got a little 256 megabyte iRiver media player that I had for my first device that I used to listen to podcasts. So around around the time when the when the iPod became a thing and and Apple allowed you to subscribe to podcasts. Did that create a, a large surge in people that wanted to download it say, saying, hey, uh, this is pretty cool. Why don't I start doing this? And, and people who had Apple products uh, started getting into it. Um, did that did that create a, a really noticeable surge in the popularity oh, of podcasts? Yeah, I think, you know, overnight we grew about 50%. You know, the, the listening audience doubled. You know, 30 to 50% would be the number that, you know, that I remember so, you know, there was definitely inflection points and that was definitely an inflection point when, That's incredible. because it just, it is, but you know, you think about it, they introduced it on the platform. It's on, at the time iTunes was, you know, pretty king when it come to, you know, the music and, and, uh, you know, so again, going back, you know, we're backing up. There was no other device on the market. There was no mobile phones. It was the iPod. That was it. And, uh, so for give people the opportunity to get uh, get content that they wanted to listen to that they could listen on demand and not be forced to listen to from a radio station or something that was that was truly evolutionary yeah. and so the growth was was amazing so you know that was a huge inflection point and then of course when the uh, when the iPhone was introduced and maybe even a little bit later when the native podcast app was introduced to the iPhone were a couple more major inflection points where we saw some bumps, but nothing compares to that uh, June, July timeframe in 2005, where we we essentially doubled overnight. 
Wow, that is that's a huge statistic. Um, I remember back in school, if you had an iPod, you were like the coolest kid. Like, yeah, <laughs> you could. They were they were expensive, you know. So yeah, yeah. you were a cool cat. Yeah, it's been about I don't know, uh, uh, over a little over a decade since uh, podcasting has started to gain popularity. Is that correct? Yeah, it's definitely. You know, it, it, I would say we've had a steady continuous climb in popularity and growth over 13 years. You know, a few surge points, obviously, but uh, really continuous steady growth over the entire time. Now, in that span of time, obviously exposure for podcasters has changed because I've seen, you know, they started talking about podcasting on things like on, on television shows and, and on radio itself. Um, have you seen, um, like yourself personally, any uh, big changes in the exposure uh, for the podcasting industry or individual podcasters? Well, you know, the press is funny. They're fickle. Well, we were supposedly yeah. going away two or three times over the past 13 years. But really, since the introduction of Serial, that podcast seemed to really light a fire in press and coverage and content. So I said we've been on a pretty uh, pretty hardcore ride here for the past two or three years of, of you know, really big coverage and uh, podcasting become a... Uh, a uh, a common word. You know, I, I haven't had to describe what a podcast is to someone in, in really three, maybe four years um, before I'd have to explain it. You know, once in a while I'll get a funny look and I'm like, you know, just it's an audio show on the Internet. You can subscribe and it. You know, oh, OK, cool. But, you, you know, mostly now everyone knows what a podcast is. As a matter of fact, the first thing they want to tell you is oh, I, I listen to this podcast and this one and that one. They want to share which ones they listen to. So, um, you, you know, in the early days, a what? You know, they were like, uh, what is that that you're doing? And, and you know, you had have to spend time to actually describe it. So, yeah, pr the press has done a great job. And, you know, you had... Uh, now everyone has their favorite podcast now. Yeah, you know, and Larry King, when he was on the air at CNN, he promoted his podcast. So there was a lot of mainstream folks, uh, a lot of mainstream media celebrities that were promoting their podcast. It has definitely helped get the word out. I don't know if the content's gotten any better, but yeah. <laughs> well, since... You know that that surge of uh, popularity happened. Um, do you think social media had a, a big impact on it, or was it more so just it's slowly growing over time? Oh, well, I think social media has a big effect for everyone right now. You know, you you look at the the time people are spending on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and in you know all these different social media sites. Uh, uh, I I think it has a huge impact. It's it makes it easy to get the word out. But at the same time, podcasters are not doing some of the fundamental stuff. They're relying on social media a lot. They're not doing things like uh, creating good show notes for Google to index so that people can find them when they're searching for stuff on Google, which people still do. So it's, um, you, you know, in one retrospect, it's gotten easier. But in another retrospect, some of the basics that we learned that are critical uh, are not being done by podcasters. But the media... Um, overall has been very, you know, very positive, very, uh, very up on podcasting for a long time. I, in fact, I did an interview yesterday with the New York Times magazine, not, uh, which is, I guess, an insert to the New York Times. Uh, I'm not familiar. I don't subscribe to the New York Times. But we we're talking about political podcasts and the growth of the political podcast before and after the election. So there's definitely segments of podcasting that's getting more attention. But really, the space is really you know, if you look at a growth standpoint, we've we've been strong and steady for the entire 13 years. Yeah, with 
uh, with an industry like podcasting where there's a lot of niche topics, um, there's a lot of space, you know, for it to get popular and to grow. And also with the the bigger community, have you seen like any change in the community or because um, I know they've been really supportive in the beginning. And um, from what I can tell, um, they, they're still really supportive. Have you seen like is like the, the community uh, changed at all or has it been the same, you know, great community? Well, it's you know, here's the thing that in the early days, we all knew each other by name. You know, because there wasn't that many of us, you know, yeah. I think the first conference, there was three or four hundred of us that went and, you know, and we see those same people today at those conferences. And it's like a, you know, family reunion, but a lot of new faces. And so it's almost impossible to keep up because there's over 400,000 podcasts out there. No one can know 400,000 content creators. But, um, you know, I think the 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 folks that are out there that are vocal, that are basically in the space uh, contributing helping other podcasters. We know who they are. There's a lot of that that, that continues uh, in helping folks get off the ground. There's, you know, folks that have classes and there's consultants now. So um, definitely there is a, a lot of room in the podcasting space uh, or, you know, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of help for people to get started and so they can succeed. Um, not everyone wants help. Everyone, some people want to do it on their own and that, that's fine too. But I think, the community, even my competitors, we still are all, all much, pretty much friends. You know, we, uh, we, we compete for business, of course, but you know, it's, uh, we're, we all go to dinner together and, and joke about things, but, uh, you know, so it's, it's not so cutthroat that uh, people hate each other because they're uh, one business practice or another. It's not like that at all. I think, I think that's great. I mean, the the core part of if anything is going to grow, it has to be the community. I mean, it needs to be willing to move forward. I think that's great that the podcasting community is so helpful towards one another and not, like you said, cutthroat. There is a little bit of division, though, when it comes to certain groups. You know, you've got uh, the public radio folks that kind of do their own thing. You've got uh, some of the networks that do their own things. And there's a little bit of intermixing with that. But you know, my, my core business is working with independent podcast creators and content creators. So, you know, I work down in the trenches a lot, a lot with indies. Now, we work with big clients as well. But, you know, big clients have their own agendas and they have their business goals and so forth they have to meet. So they're not necessarily looking to interconnect with the podcasting community. But most of the indie podcasters do. When, when you started and when a lot of uh, other people who have been podcasting for a long time started, did you guys know it was going to uh, grow to be as big as it is now? Or did you just start out as a small hobby? Like, did you expect to make it into a, a full career? Well, I, I I thought it would be bigger, faster. And, uh, you know, I, there's certain things I thought would be a little bit further along. So from a, that perspective, I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm disappointed, but things have progressed uh, advertising wise and a number of listener wise a little slower than I thought it would. But, you know, also I, you know, in the early days this, to me, this was like, this is radio replacement. And a lot of people didn't think radio would be upsurped at all in any time in the near future. But now, you know, radio has real, real issues that, you know, they're not going to anytime soon. Don't get me wrong. But radio has got to a shift. You know, I, I look at my kids. I have a, a, a 27, 21, 20, and a 14-year-old. And my three that I, you know, still see every day, I have one of my daughters in Florida, they're plugged into 
other stuff. They're not listening to the radio. Now, they may not be listening to podcasts yet, but they're listening to other type of content. So they'll never go back to radio ever. So radio has a true problem. So digital is where it's going to be. And you see some of that shift taking place now. But yeah. uh, is is podcasting going to be a radio replacement? I think it's a very good candidate. And it's uh, and some radio groups are starting to become a little bit concerned. But again, radio is a multi-billion dollar business. We're podcasting is a 200 to $250 million business. Radio is multiple, multiple billion. So again, radio is not going away anytime soon. But you know, over time, there's going to be a shift. Oh, yeah, because podcasting has very clear advantages over uh, listening to radio. Like you can listen it uh, wherever you want. You don't have to worry about reception. And you can listen to the ones you want when you want. You don't have to wait for a specified time when a show might come on. The, and the only thing that podcasting hasn't completely filled is, is you know, local drive and finding out about the news locally or finding out about a band locally or or events coming up. Radio's That's what radio's sweet spot is, you know, is that two-hour morning drive. Uh, so as soon as, uh, you know, podcasters start creating more local content to fill that niche and have enough uh, volume to make it a sustainable business model, I think you're going to see um, some of that happen. But it, the local podcasts have been slow to uptick, and so radio still holds the, you know, the high ground on that. Yeah, that's true. The podcasters have been um, getting... Uh, better production values as they go on, you know, when they get better funding and they start making to a bigger show. Have you seen any, like, really significant changes in production values in podcasts? Like, have they become basically on on par with radio shows um, as of now? I think the production values went up incredibly, and the the cost of the equipment has went down dramatically. You know, for for under $100, it's easy to get a great mic that sounds really good. Oh, yeah. You know, when when I bought the mic that I'm using right now, you know, that was not a cheap mic. I, and I have a blue a mouse. It's like a $1,200 mic. So, but the sound that's coming out of some of these sub $100 levels are comparable to this mic. So you're getting great quality with the, uh, with the gear that's available today. The tools have gotten better in the audio editing and post-processing and remove hiss and, you know, anything that may have come up during the show. So, that's better. So yeah, definitely the audio production is is way up uh, across the board, and it has to be. You know, it, when you, I do video as well. So uh, when when the video is messed up, they can kind of forgive you. But if the audio is messed up, there's there's really, they can be a very painful, a very painful experience. So uh, the audio is important to get right. Yeah, it, it just means that. Podcasting becomes more accessible to people who want to get into it. Um, you don't have to start out with a little tiny, like, cheap microphone anymore. You can budget it and uh, get this really good quality equipment right off the bat. And um, you don't have to have a big uh, radio recording studio uh, to do no. a good show anymore. No, and you don't have to break the bank to get started. You know, it's, uh, yeah. you know, like I said, under $100, you're, you're ready to rock. Now, um, with the, the popularity of podcasts and um, with people, uh, you know, networking on social media, well, the, the music apps like Pandora and Spotify, um, how are they doing with implementing podcasts? I, I know some of them um, do uh, implement podcasts. Personally, I don't use them to listen to podcasts. I use uh, things that are only for podcasting like Stitcher Radio uh, or Blueberry. But are they doing um, a good job with implementing podcasts and figuring out how it all works compared to music? 
I think they're finding their way. Uh, Pandora is, I think, going to be expanding and carrying more podcasts. They've only done some experiments up to this point. Spotify has been pretty um, in- exclusive on who they allow onto their platform. So not every podcaster can just get on there. Um, so, you know, that is a barrier because if, if you're a podcaster and you're not on Spotify, you're not going to tell your listeners to go to Spotify to find the show. So, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, so, matter of fact, they're, they're going to be talking bad about Spotify if we can't find their show on Spotify. So, they're going to be telling listeners to go where they can find their show. So, syndication of podcasting, which up to this point has been open, and you can syndicate your podcast anywhere, uh, gatekeepers like Pandora, Spotify, um, may, uh, you know, we'll see where they go with this. But no dedicated music platform in 13 years has been able to break the bubble in podcasting and gain any significant uh, uh, market share. Now, when one gets to 5% of global market share and consumption, then I will, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be the first one to talk about it. But at this point, uh, they're barely, you know, they're barely moving the needle. And part of it's because it's, again, limited number of shows, uh, very curated. Um, Have they started so I, I think that well, in the last 18 months or so, and they're adding some more shows. But Pandora, no. Uh, Pandora's only had a couple of shows on, and it was a special deal. But, uh, you know, news is indicating that Pandora may be looking at podcasting in a bigger way. Only time will tell, though. So do you see in the future um, um, them getting the, the formula right or any apps following? Basically, do you see the music apps um, making anything out of podcasting well we'll see over time i i'm i'm not bullish on that if you, if you if i was going to vegas and putting money down i would say the odds are probably uh you know I, I don't think the odds are real good but you know here's the thing that's the beauty about podcasting um it, it isn't going to stop the medium the medium's going to continue to grow and just being able to click subscribe in your mobile phone and have this content there available to you whether it be Android or iOS, um, you know, irregardless of gatekeepers, uh, being able to n- get the content that you want to listen to, where you want to listen to it, from who you want to listen to, is uh, is pretty incredible. So if you know if someone wants to be a gatekeeper, then they can. We'll see how that works out for them. But uh, the podcasting community in the podcasting space continues to grow, uh, with or without major players that are coming into you know, put their twist on things. Uh, I think that they would do themselves well to reach out to people in the podcasting space and say, what can we do? Because we want to see a podcasting grow. We want our audiences to grow and we want to give them ideas to help them to do that. But I think there's a lot of radio mentality in this and that they think they know best, but yeah, we'll see over time. But uh, that's kind of my position on that. Now, with the big companies... They haven't really um, dabbled in podcasting um, before, like when it was just starting up. And now some of them, some of the bigger companies are starting to kind of say, hey, what's this? And, you know, make their own. So do you see big companies kind of trying to take over the podcasting industry? Or do you think um, smaller uh, podcasters can work hand in hand with the larger companies? Well, the indie space is the podcasting space. And we've had big companies come and go and have done initiatives. You know, 
is are you going to get uh, if if they're creating content that's entertaining and of value? Yeah, sure, people are going to listen, but people are still going to be able to listen to your show or mine, and that's not going to change things. They can't take over the space. They can influence it. They can influence where people listen. But I think the more we influence people to listen to podcasts, the more opportunities there are for podcasters like me to be able to have my show found and listen to and subscribe to and and supporting my sponsors and so forth. So, um, you know, I think the future is bright. I think it's because here's the deal. There there cannot be uh, there's no way to stop the space and no one to completely control it. The space is going to grow as it's going to grow. Um, and big companies are going to come in and, and make their mark and they're going to put their spin on things. And we'll see over time. I, I welcome uh, lots of content and lots of companies because guess what? We all can learn from each other and do cool things to entertain our audiences. So podcasting has grown so much in the last uh, 13 years. Do you, do you see it um, creating having the same linear uh, growth um, over the same time period? Or do you think you'll spike up? Uh, you know, exponentially go up. Well, the if it's you know, trending lines are are pretty uh, pretty important, and I think we're just going to continue to. Con- I don't unless something unless something comes out with something amazing. Um, you know, we could see a spike if uh, the Google folks put a mandatory podcasting app in Android. In other words, if it's delivered with the OEM build of Android, I think, and most people don't know this when uh, when you get a device the manufacturers have to put certain Google apps on their Gmail, uh, Chrome. There's a few things that is required to be part of the package. And then, of course, the the, the Samsungs and the L, LGs of the world, they put the apps that they want to put on there as well as uh, preloaded. So as soon as Google says we're going to preload a podcast app and make it mandatory for all the OEMs, I think we'll see another huge spike. Um, but other than that, I think it's going to be a continuous, steady growth in the podcasting space. So do you see any more uh, dedicated uh, podcast platforms coming into play that will try to shake things up or make things different? Um, kind of like how Apple created a, a thing where you can subscribe to podcasts. Do you, th- do you see any um, companies making a platform that can change things up for the better? There's been a lot of talk about discovery in podcasting. Personally, I don't think there is a discovery issue. I think there's more of a promotion issue with individual podcasters that are complaining about that. But we could see someone that uh, you know puts a new spin on things and comes up with an app that's super smart, maybe has a little bit of artificial intelligence to match content that we really want to listen to. I don't know. It, it, I, I would hope so. I think anything that comes out of a marketplace that is going to uh, drive more listeners, I, I think is good. Um, if someone's got a cool idea and is coding that up, I'm excited to see it. But here's the main thing. If you know, if you have your own .com and you are doing your show and you're doing everything you can to uh, get it so Google knows about it and that you're in the social media promoting it, um, all really it falls back to is great content. And if you're creating great content, people are going to subscribe to the show and your show's going to going to grow, uh, irregardless of the newest, hottest platform out there. You know, my mothership is at uh, uh, two places, newmediashow.com and geeknewcentral.com. That's where my two primary shows are. And, of course, the things we do at, at Blueberry. But um, I, I think it's really critical that podcasters build their brand and control their IP and, um, you know, it's, it's their product. So they need to, they need to be their champions. 
So um, I know we've been talking about um, podcasts compared to radio. Um, do you see um, podcasting uh, coming into conflict with um, public television at all? Uh, you know, personally, I don't watch public television. So I, I, maybe I don't have a good fingerprint on what they're doing over there. Because, well, if you think about it, community programming has always been good local football games or, you know, something going on, some festival being covered by uh, by public television. It, it has its place. But with everyone with a camera in their pocket, um, you know, if you are in a community and you have a lot of friends in your community, you're going to be attuned to a lot of this uh, via, you know, people putting stuff up on YouTube and a variety of different places. So I don't know if podcasting is going to impact public radio, but I think the simple fact that each and every one of us has a camera in our pocket is is a huge multiplier and be able to put out uh, content that may be compelling that and, and it put a spin on things that maybe a news organization would not and maybe they'd have to think about sponsors and be careful about what they say. You know, people can be raw and they can be brutally honest. And I think that's what people really love about podcasting in the same way they love uh, stuff that's on YouTube and a variety of other platforms. So I think combined, just us having more access to tech is going to change the entire landscape over time. I don't see TV going anywhere anytime soon, but who knows? Yeah. Um, one of the best things about podcasting is the uh, the personalization um, and uh, how people can make it how they want and they're not you know they're they're their own boss they can create their podcast with the whatever topic they want and they can operate it and make a schedule uh, based on what they want to do what they feel is right um do you see a better future for people with you know niche podcasts that have really specific uh topics or um would it ha would there be a better opportunity for people with broader topics Niche topics are always, and especially if it's a really unique topic that has a very limited and high-profile listener base, those are very valuable properties. Those can those shows can write their own tickets for, for sponsorships. Um, niche is always cool. Depends on how niche the topic is. You know, I I worked with a guy that was a neurosurgeon. He was one of the top neurosurgeons in the world, and he did a podcast, and he had about two thousand neurosurgeons that listened. To his show, so if you think about worldwide how many actual neurosurgeons there are, you know, I would say probably he had the majority of them on his podcast. Wow! And uh, sponsors were paying him twenty thousand dollars an episode to sponsor to reach those two thousand people. So you know, there's monetization potential through niche, but again, you have to be the subject matter expert or the absolute authority on that content to be able to or become that authority uh, in order to demand those types of sponsorship numbers. So I think there's a good mix for everything. You know, there's a few things that I'm looking at right now. I'm studying very closely and I picked a few podcasts that were niche about that content. It was a good way for me to learn from an expert about something. But I also listen to news shows. I listen to business shows. So, you know, there, there's something there for everyone. Now, I'm glad you brought up uh, sponsors because that was actually um, what my last question was going to be about. More podcasts have been getting more sponsors. Do you see uh, sponsors becoming more eager to um, to back podcasts um, You know, now and in the future? Um, are they becoming more eager to support podcasts? Yeah, there's more money being dumped into advertising in the space. So I think that uh, you know podcasters that haven't run advertising in their shows need to be paying attention to their messaging and their content. Uh, to make sure that it's advertiser friendly and number one that 
when you do get that advertising deal that, uh, you know, you really pay attention to the instructions you've been given and follow the guidelines to, to, to produce a good campaign. Um, you know, some shows are small and they're not going to make a lot of money, but if they're small and niche, they can make a lot of money. So it's kind of goes two ways, but the, uh, you know, there's definitely more money coming into the space and, and I, I call it rolling down because a lot of the money's been up in the bigger shows for a long time. And a lot of those, uh, bigger shows are essentially full up. Uh, they're filled, their inventory's filled, sold out. So advertisers are now having to finally once again, look back at the the smaller shows. And when I mean smaller shows, that have a listeners from a, a thousand listeners on up. And uh, you, you're not going to make a lot of money, but maybe make enough for dinner money, car money, house payment money, and maybe even at some point a, a lifestyle change. Who knows? But um, you know, there's more money going to come in this space. But still, as a podcaster, you got to build your audience to be able to demand the uh, the big bucks or have that niche niche audience. Um, do you think uh, sponsors are a little cautious when, when they decide to back a smaller podcast, like, hey, maybe this won't take off? Or are they a little more optimistic about it, like, hey, maybe this, this is probably going to grow? Spon- sponsors care about one thing, and that's performance. And uh, if you perform, they don't care what size your show is. They'll continue to write checks. So uh, if you can't deliver, uh, they're not going to renew. They're not going to be back. So, uh, you know, at least the brand advertising, not, not the brand, the more of the um, direct response advertisers. The brand advertisers are going to come in and they're not going to pay as much, but it's going to be, you know, your your Geico's, your Ford, your Chevy ads and stuff that you, it's, you know, national advertising campaigns that uh, are, are brand awareness. And those advertisers are starting to show up. And, uh, you know, I, I they're going to be looking at every show that they advertise in to be cautious because they're aligning their brand uh, with the show. And if a podcaster says something that gets their audience mad at them, then they're going to come back and have retribution on the sponsor as well. So, uh, yeah, sponsors, and especially in this the supercharged world we're in right now, uh, advertisers are really gun shy. They're making sure that uh, the content isn't going to be too controversial. Right. So, I, I want to thank you uh, for coming on the show and um, and participating in this in in the interview and agreeing to the interview. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say on the topic before um, before we end the episode? Yeah, just, uh, you know, if you're looking for podcasting, hosting, and services, just check us out at blueberry.com, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com. We've got some 30-day promo codes. If you want one, you can email me, Todd, at blueberry.com, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com, and check out my two shows, newmediashow.com and geeknewcenter.com. So I always say, first and foremost, I'm a podcaster and a business owner second, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm down here in the trenches doing a show just like other podcasters and, you know, having the same travails and challenges that they have. But uh, just remember, if you're going to be podcasting, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, and uh, and you just got to do the grind to get good content turned out. Yeah, it requires a lot of hard work and dedication. And um, that's something you had a lot of to build to build up your show. So uh, thank you, Todd, for coming on the show. So that was Todd Cochran, CEO of Raw Voice and host of The New Media Show. Be sure to check out my interview with Jonathan Holmes, who is the developer of Circuit Dude, which is a game on Steam. Also, the Cube Command YouTube channel, which is a Let's Play channel featuring me and a bunch of my friends. Also, be sure to check out Todd on his podcast, Geek News Central, and the new media show. And uh, this has been the Cube Command podcast. My name is Tommy Savoy, and I'll see you later.